Hello, I'm Victoria. And I'm Johnny. Welcome to Tasty Pages. A podcast for people who love cookbooks, food, and cooking. Each week, we'll discuss a featured cookbook from our popular Cooking the Books Instagram page. We'll also discuss the dishes that we made and rank the book in a variety of categories. Including food photography and styling, degree of difficulty, and of course, taste. The conversation is always unscripted, unedited, and uncensored. Spoiler alert, Victoria likes to swear. (laughs) All of this takes place in our living room in the heart of Minneapolis. Oh yeah, we also have a featured show topic with contributions from our listeners, and we end each episode with a lame food-related joke. Usually very lame. Hey now. (laughs) Join Join us for for Tasty Tasty Pages. This week's featured cookbook is... California Living and Eating by Eleanor Maidment. Hi, Johnny. Victoria. (laughs) How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm good. A little tired. Yeah. Worked two long nights uh, the previous evenings. I know. And you you stayed up very late. Saw a great band last night, though. Right? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) He he actually sent me a a video of of one of the performers. They got a little side hustle. Um doing live sound for bands at a local club and there was a performer uh her real name is sarah elstron very nice but she records under the name the nunnery i love that yeah like where nuns shower together or at least that's what they do in the movies that i've been watching (laughs) (laughs) but uh she does it's all like a one person performance where she's got all this gear on stage with her and she manipulates her voice and records loops and then like builds on top of that. So it's kind of as she's performing, she's doing this live looping and, and composing so that it's never the same performance twice. And she was even doing like some improv stuff. Like she she does have songs and she has music out. So, you know, if you're interested, look it up on, you know, wherever you stream music. But she was also doing a little bit of improv, which I thought was pretty brave. Nice. Pretty cool. So yeah, very enjoyable. Anyway, that's why I'm a little, little uh, worn down. Well, and usually I <laughs> I stay at home and I've been binge watching uh, Real Housewives of Melbourne. Melbourne. What are you, you going to do, do, do when that's done? Hopefully um, they'll have another uh, another city that they terrorize. They that do. You they can... have. There's there's one <laughs> season of Sydney. But then I also signed up for. Um, Peacock. I have a lot of previous seasons to catch up on, and there's some below deck that I want to catch up. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, I usually watch it when I'm do when I'm doing cardio at the gym too. So, yeah. See, gotta keep myself entertained. See, I, I won't watch it. So this is the perfect opportunity. It gives you the 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 alone time you need to watch this well, by yourself. I, I would get such secondhand embarrassment because you'd be like, why are those drunk ladies just screaming at each other? You are correct. (laughs) Welcome to Tasty Pages, episode 78, a podcast from Cooking the Books. If you go to our website, which is wecookbooks.com, and you click on that store tab, that will direct you to our amazon.com affiliate page. Uh, We've got some lists there, kitchen essentials for home cooks, cookbooks, food photography and styling, as well as some fun food finds. Um, These are all like curated lists that we've assembled for you. And if you make a purchase from any of them, you get a little something you want. We get a few pennies in return. Best of all, it doesn't cost you anything more. It's the best way that you can support the fine work that we're doing here. Ooh, and before we jump into anything, I think it's it's important to discuss what we are drinking for this podcast. We are drinking grog. From Smuggler's Cove, and it's simple little drink. It's Not to be confused with nog, because there's no egg in this drink. Or glog. Yep. It's really simple drink of uh, dark rum, simple syrup, and some lime juice. So back in the day, uh, anyone who was uh, sailing the seas, these sailors, they would uh, you know, make their own rum, usually with some kind of gross bilge water or something. But... Uh, <laughs> They would take the salt and bread that they were rationed and trade that in for, uh, I believe, lime juice and sugar. And then they'd put Ah. that in their bilge water rum and then they'd just skip a meal and just drink rum. 
And it, I had the lime just kept them from getting scurvy. Yeah, so it's it a pretty calculated decision on their part. They were like, ah, I'm going to skip meal. I'll, I'll give my bread back, but I just want some more rum and, you know, I'm going to make a cocktail. Yeah, that's so how you do. That's kind of the origins of it. <laughs> but uh, And that is from the book uh, Smuggler's Cove that we're kind of working our way through. So it's a lot of rum-based drinks and kind of tiki cocktails and whatnot and uh that'll be coming up in a feature and that leads us into what we are currently working on we just started a new book it's called in praise of veg the ultimate cookbook for vegetable lovers you said veg right yes i did (laughs) okay just check it (laughs) get your mind out of the gutter sir i mean i I praise either one so (laughs) it it, it works uh, anyway continue (laughs) by alex zeslovsky so far, this book is shaping up to be fantastic. I think it's a keeper. It was it was one of those books where every other page was tabbed. And it is a pretty comprehensive tome for vegetables. It's, yes. it's, a, it's a big book. If it were a baby, this would be one of those like 10-pound babies that you hear about. <laughs> it's separated into like the different colors of vegetables, like dark green, light green, purple... But but the way it's it's separated too, it, it makes it a good useful reference, especially if you do like shopping at a farmer's market or you get like a CSA box or yes. something. You can very quickly and easily look up a particular vegetable, and it'll start giving you some ideas for things to do with it. This book arriving was very timely because one of our neighbors was going out of town and she was like hey I have a CSA box and she so graciously gifted it to us all we had to do was go pick it up and it's near our house so we took that book and just referenced what we had in the box and we're getting some good meals out of it indeed speaking of which oh yeah what's for dinner tonight (laughs) You, you like my enthusiasm, you, my podcast enthusiasm? Oh my god, dial it down a notch. I, 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 there's nowhere I'd rather be. Ma- right maybe, now. maybe I need to like up it up, and you need to dial well, it you down. Well, they have drugs for that kind of thing. <laughs> you know? We can figure it out after the show. Um, we are doing a fennel and tomato panzanella salad with homemade ricotta. Um, Homemade ricotta, you say? Yes, I'm an artisanal cheesemaker. Wow. If only we lived in like Brooklyn or Portland. Right. Then you could you could sell it from your uh, unicycle. Yes. And play the ukulele at the same time. Yes. But this, this ricotta has um, fennel in it and we made it with goat milk. So it's going to be a little touch funky. Just like me. Hey. <laughs> All right, so so one thing I wanted to discuss. You, you remember uh, those Casey Kasem top countdown things when when he was on the air, and he'd always have like some heartwarming story about yeah, uh, yeah. you know some birthday dedication or something. Until they caught that like hot mic footage of him just going off the rails yes. and like swearing and going crazy. Look it up on YouTube. It's it's insane. Kind of kind of ruined his image of of being like a, a real swell guy. <laughs> Apparently, he was not. Uh, anyway, this is a feel-good story. Uh, it comes from the Washington Post. It's an article by uh, Sydney Page, searching for Linda Skeens, S-K-E-E-N-S. Picture this, the Virginia-Kentucky District Fair, which just happened earlier this year, like many fairs, have uh, baking and cooking contests. And on June 13th, they posted the winners of this year's on their Facebook page. And of the 80 different contests, the same name showed up on 25 of them as being the winner, Linda Skeens. And it was was kind of a mystery. And the internet started to buzz with activity about who this Linda Skeens woman was because other than the name, there was no contact information or no way to find her. But she swept the... Cake, pie, cookie, bread, brownie, and candy categories in this year's fair. She also won best overall canned veg. Yes, I said veg. (laughs) (laughs) And also uh, overall best non-cucumber pickled item with her peppers. She also won best spaghetti sauce, applesauce, sauerkraut, jelly for her grape jelly, jam for her peach raspberry. Ooh, yum. She won all these competitions to the point of where hashtag where is Linda Skeens began trending. 
one woman named Linda Skeens that resided in Blacksburg, Virginia, was mistakenly identified as this culinary powerhouse that swept the fair, uh, compelling her to actually issue a public statement that she was, in fact, not that Linda Skeens. Uh, Finally, a granddaughter came forward, Frankie Skeens. She was quoted as saying to us, it's nothing new because mama has done this for years. Oh, <laughs> uh, she's participated for several decades and won many blue ribbons previously, just not as many in one year. She probably honed those skills during lockdown. Yeah. And so uh, Linda Skeens, the winner, is uh, the mother of three children, five grandchildren and two great grandchildren. In addition to being a culinary powerhouse, she also enjoys embroidery, cross-stitch, and uh, painting. And she's best known in the family for her potato casserole, her strawberry fudge, which was the winner in the best overall baked goods category. Really? The granddaughter, Frankie Skeens, went on to say she would either give you the shirt off her back or make you one, depending <laughs> on what you wanted. <laughs> so, yeah. My grandma's cool, but I don't know if she's Linda Skeen's cool. No. Do you think she'll be banned from the competition? They'll, they'll just be like, you're, you're too good. You're too good. You, we, you can't enter anymore. <laughs> no, I think she just needs to go and, like, sweep it. She needs sweep to, every category. Yeah. And, I mean, while she's at it, maybe she could try, like... Uh, Lassoing some like some bulls or something or you know. she well she could raise like the largest pumpkin yeah I mean or go all out do 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 some uh, uh, the grain art I'm I'm uh, I'm lobbying to just have the fair renamed after her like, the, <laughs> the Skeens Linden. County Fair or something <laughs> like that <laughs> all right uh, what else should we talk about oh so I mentioned that we are making a panzanella. Obviously, it has bread in it. Yes. The bread that we are using is from this bakery. We took a little trip yesterday yep. to this gluten-free bakery named Sift. Minneapolis has a few gluten-free bakeries, mm-hmm. one of which was Sift. So we got this loaf of sourdough. Cute place. Cute. Like a kind of a coffee shop, bakery kind of thing. They've got coffees. They've got you know baked goods, donuts, scones, they didn't muffins. Have any, they didn't have any scones yesterday. I know. That's what I scones. really wanted. Well, you got to get there early. Yeah. You can't be sleeping in when you go to Sift. No, but uh, I got some banana bread. Didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, it was it was weird. It was gummy yet gritty, and it had a weird aftertaste. It wasn't very banana y. Is that a word? It is now. <laughs> um, yeah. See, like I feel like fruit breads like that, like zucchini and banana bread and stuff like that. I I, I realize they're dense. But they should still have a little bit of crumb to them. Yeah. And shouldn't... It was kind of like wet sawdust. Yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. Because I realize that you know, they have to be moist, to quote your favorite word. Ugh, but shut up. at the same time, they still have to have a little bit of crumb. This was just kind of like dense and gummy. Yeah, like someone mixed up some sawdust with... A banana. Yeah. Put it in a little pan and bake it. I think with this gluten free bread product baking stuff, it's gonna we're just gonna have to learn to do it ourselves. It's gonna take some trial and error. Well, I've made several things and, and, and I've, they're they've been good. Yeah. Yeah. Um the bread is not great. It's not it's like it, it weighs a lot. I was it's doing so some, heavy uh, and I was it, doing some arm curls with it earlier. It's super heavy and it was I mean, I get that the ingredients for gluten free baking are expensive. This loaf of sourdough was $10, but we're going to tear it up and toast it up and we'll transform it into something for the best. Yep. It'll be good. Uh, Last Thursday, uh, we went to a local theater. (laughs) Movie theater. uh, To watch the cinematic gem. This is Spinal Tap on the big screen. Uh, some of you may be familiar with some of the other Christopher Guest movies like Best in Show and Waiting for Guffman. If you are unfamiliar with his first film that uh, inspired all the others, this is Spinal Tap. Check it out. I mean, I, I've seen it a million times. I have never seen it on the big screen. Nor have I. And there were things that I that I didn't catch, like everyone had cold sores. <laughs> And I've never like sat through the credits. There's a lot of layers to that onion that you got to peel back. Yes. With that, with that documentary, mockumentary. Love it. Yeah. 
So, but yeah, do yourself a favor. Check it out. It, and, was, it was wonderful. And the Parkway is great because you they serve cocktails. And yes, they do. There was a live band performing beforehand. Mm-hmm. They, they really make an event out of it. Yes. There was a ton of people there. It was packed. I it hope I don't so- catch the COVID. I know. There was a lot of people in there. I know. Hey, if we didn't catch the COVID while we were in Vegas... Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Maybe we're one of those rare people that just are never going to get oh it. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm just, I'm living in a dream world. That's, you are. That's my fantasy. <laughs> uh, tomorrow's July 4th, although I don't feel that America really deserves a birthday party this year. Great. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> on, on that note, should we move on to the uh, show question? Yes. Let's do it. All right. So this was a good one. If you were to move away... From wherever you're currently living, what food would you miss? And this this was interesting. We got a lot of responses from listeners, and I had to kind of rack my brain to kind of come up with my own. So without further ado. Your Aunt Barb. Aunt Barb. Aunt Barb. Good old Aunt, ba- Aunt Barb said State Fair cheese curds. Yeah, so she moved from Minneapolis, where we are, to Colorado mm-hmm. years ago, and she misses those State Fair cheese curds. Can you blame her? Nope. Although she's she's also gluten free, so I don't know. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you can eat those. Yeah, you. Yeah, yeah? I, you could totally use gluten free flour. But the, the state. But fair not ones? the state fair yeah, ones. I was no, say, they're probably not gluten free. I don't know what I'm going to eat when yeah, we go there. Yeah, the state fair is coming up here in Minnesota, and uh, I think your options are going to be limited. But thankfully, smoked pork chop is still on the list. I pork think. Pork chop on a stick. Yep. Oh, you, you yum. Can, you can eat several of those. Okay. Uh, Challenge accepted. <laughs> Charlene J said pizza. I, I mean, I think you can get pizza anywhere that you reside. Yeah. I mean, unless it's a very specific pizza, like a, you like know, a New Haven pizza. Yeah, clam pizza or something. Or Detroit pizza. Yeah. Heather F. also said pizza. Yaping M. said, sadly, nothing in the Denver metro area. <laughs> so if she ever moves from Denver... She's good. Not going to miss anything. <laughs> Joseph P. said, Magma at Ramen Kazama. I'm so sad I can't get ramen anymore. Yeah. Our friend Alan F. said, uh, I already have. Uh, he moved from Minneapolis to, I believe he's in Los Angeles mm-hmm. now, but he said uh, Green Mill, which is kind of a local pizza chain. Oh, love uh, Green Mill. Pepperoni deep dish. They're kind of known for their deep dish pizza with like a metric ton of cheese on it yes Mm. a lot of cheese oh maybe too much dare i say no huh okay although i remember back before we moved from minneapolis like i was very eating disordered we'd order a green mill with no cheese that's That's, right that's a travesty yeah it, it, it is a lot of cheese, though. Yeah. Not for the lactose intolerant. <laughs> uh, he also misses the smoked mozzarella string cheese. I had completely forgotten about those, and now I'm going to have to go. I mean, you can get them probably in anywhere. Yeah. So I'm 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 going to seek those out. We'll pick some up when we pass through, because I'm sure uh, Wisconsin has them too. Uh, I don't think Wisconsin's really known much for their cheese. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> And then also uh, he misses the both the tabbouleh and the sliced gyro meat gyro. <laughs> from uh, <laughs> the local upscale grocery chain Byerly's and Lunds. Uh, it says, whenever I'm in town, I pack as much as practical to bring back. I, I could just see him with an extra luggage packed full <laughs> of deep dish pizza. No, you want to hear something funny? No, um, not really. On Twitter, I saw this post about this woman who had her bag searched by TSA, because I believe she was Canadian, Uh and it was full of ube uh, pancake mix from Trader Joe's. Really? Yeah. And she was super embarrassed, and the TSA agent was like, hey, be whoever you are. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Of all the things to, to hoard, to, to stockpile. Well, it's a new product. Okay. And they also have that ube spread that I want to try too. Yeah. Am I saying it right? Is it ube, ube? I think it's ube. Yeah. yeah. You do you. <laughs> I, I, I can't assist on this one. And uh, it's gluten free. Our friend Bill S. from Chicago said Italian beef. Mm-hmm. He's not wrong. Yes. Uh, Wonder and Sundry said Union Square Donuts. Okay. Can appreciate um, a good donut. Our friend Carolina... She moved from Uruguay to Spain, and she misses the dulce de leche. Hmm. I, I feel you. Yeah. Yeah, I would miss that too. Uh, Sam Cap said Migas Tacos and Most Tex-Mex. 
I can see that. Mm-hmm. At life is what you bake it. Uh, said tacos. I thought about that because we had some favorite taco joints in Chicago. Yes, but we did. We are on a busy street with probably about 20 taquerias and, and taco trucks yes. within walking distance. But yet last night when you came home. I brought no tacos. No, but you were telling me that the, there was a line like out to the street for Taco Bell. Yeah, we have a Taco Bell down the street that uh, I think it's safe to say neither of us will ever step foot in. Ooh, Although I'm, I'm going to get the Mexican pizza. Yeah, I got to do it. You do you. <laughs> you can do that on the same night when I'm working and you're watching Real Housewives of Pulse. You can walk down there, get your bullshit Mexican pizza, watch your bullshit shows, and have a turkey pot pie ready for me when I come okay. home. Okay. All right. All right. Oh, man. Well, did you, did you know? Hot take. Um, for those who don't know, there are a, a couple select stores, I believe, in the California area that are doing tostadas on what are basically giant Cheez-Its. And I actually came in, babe, look at this. It's a tostada on a Cheez-It. Oh. You don't remember that? No. Was I drinking? Oh my, no, it was the middle of the day. <laughs> was I drinking? <laughs> <laughs> Do you listen to anything I say? Eh, generally not. <laughs> um, at Mary MSU4 said hamburgers. See, another thing, like where are you living that you can't get a decent hamburger? Yeah. I mean, here in Minneapolis, we have Juicy Lucy's, which aren't really nah. served elsewhere. And yeah. I, I mean, I'm not like a huge fan. I can understand maybe if someone is and they might miss that or crave that if they moved away from Minneapolis. What kind of hamburgers are you missing? I mean, I get in Chicago, there was like Kumas and Bad Apple. Yeah, but I I think I could get a good burger here in Minneapolis if I was so inclined. The Gnome? Yeah. Oh, the the hamburgers at the Gnome are so good. Yeah. What else you got? Uh, Shelly KVD said breakfast tacos. Uh, Another vote for Italian beef from our friend Annie at Gimme Meatloaf. Cooking underscore with my books said August fresh sweet corn and tomatoes. There you go. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I could see how... There would be maybe specific produce or ingredients. I was I was thinking of uh, Jerusalem artichokes. We have not been able to find them here in Minneapolis, and we used to buy them pretty regularly yeah. in Chicago at one at one of the grocers. I don't know. Maybe we'll run into them at the farmers market or yeah. something. What do you got for your answer? I said fried chicken. See, I had a feeling. Our picks would be more specific to like very particular restaurants. In Chicago, yeah, that we miss, yeah, Furious Spoon Ramen, yes, and I'm gonna have to say the Lengua Burrito from uh, Pueblo Nuevo. Pueblo Nuevo. Anything else? No, I don't think so. Okay, what about you? I was I was trying to think of our current situation here in Minnesota, and and maybe it's just because we haven't lived here long enough now, or there's just nothing that I can think that is like uniquely specific to minnesota or minneapolis that that i would miss like we already talked about the juicy lucy like i can take or leave that oh see i was doing it from chicago no no and so and so that that was my initial thought i couldn't think of anything so then i started thinking back to chicago the the one that does come to mind is like deep dish pizza because i'm not aware there is a giordano's here which was kind of our go-to yes pizza place but it's a bit of a drive it's not as convenient as like we had one down the street when we lived in chicago and so well and i can't eat it either because right right so i i would say like deep dish pizza is probably like the one that jumps out i i have I mean, to agree with you 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 had some solid picks as well like if we're if we're going to talk about like specific dishes from particular restaurants then yes Ramen, fried chicken, the fried chicken sandwich from uh, Carnivore in Oak Park, Illinois. <laughs> the right? way you say carnivore, carnivore. carnivore cracks me up. <laughs> I'm, I'm an individual. I'm a free thinker. Okay. I make up my own pronunciation. Just like how I say... Me and Kanye Go- West were so misunderstood. <laughs> Just like how I mispronounce Gochujang all yep. the time. All right. So we, should we dive into this book? I think we've wasted enough time of our fine listeners. (laughs) All right. So uh, while it may surprise some to learn that there is such a thing as quote unquote California cuisine, the challenge becomes how do you define it? Some would probably say it starts back in 1971 in Berkeley with Alice Waters and her groundbreaking restaurant Chez Panisse. 
Excuse me, I think it's Chez Panisie. I think you're right. But it really did put an emphasis on very hyper-local ingredients and, you know, fusion cuisine and kind of what's known as like farm-to-table now. There have been others that have followed in, in her footsteps. We've featured some books lately that have kind of focused on this, including uh, last week's Forest Feast Road Trip, which mm-hmm. kind of took us on a culinary road trip throughout the Golden State. And also Helena Henderson. What was that one called? From uh, Malibu Farm Sunrise to Sunset. Thank you. It's and a great book. Please go check it out. And I think this this book actually came out first, so I don't know if it served as a bit of an inspiration. This book walked so Malibu could fly. I, I like the way you think, because <laughs> I feel the same way. We'll get into that in a second. But yeah, so needless to say, this was uh, another book in a line of... California cuisine books that we enjoyed. Without further ado, take us through what we made and we'll talk in detail about them. All right. There was an Asian style chicken salad, courgette and pecorino polenta cakes, toasted quinoa bowls, burrata, asparagus, and blistered tomatoes, and a turmeric white fish. <laughs> Nothing else? <laughs> just just the white fish? You sure? Okay. Well, let's start with this Asian-style chicken salad. So in the 1960s, Chinese chicken salad was all the rage in California, even though there really wasn't anything actually Chinese about it. (laughs) No surprise. But people embraced the quote-unquote exotic flavors of this dish. So this version is kind of a riff on that um, and includes a roasted cashew dressing. Yep, the dressing is cashews, maple, fish sauce, water, a little bit of lime juice. This used chicken breast, which we are not, we always prefer chicken thighs, but in this case it gets poached, Mm -hmm. which is a good way to keep it from drying out. I think it's one of the only ways to cook. Yeah, I mean, you... Anytime I grill them, I feel like they get pretty dried out. Not this girl. I can cook a chicken breast, but... I think like when you order, like when you go to a restaurant or something, I feel like they're always overcooked and just like you don't ever get that juicy chicken breast. Anyways, (laughs) so yeah, the chicken breast gets poached and then you let it cool and you shred it. And the ingredients of the salad, uh, it was just like shredded cabbage, carrots, some scallions, sugar snap peas, and then you get a little fruity hit with some mango and then it gets uh, garnished with uh, some mint and basil for a little herbal note. And you forgot the noodles are vermicelli. Yes. Which are just happen to be gluten-free. So, so win-win. win-win. <laughs> <laughs> this was great. I, I didn't mind it. Nice, fresh, very summery dish. A little light. Mm-hmm. Not going to feel weighed down after eating it. I, I like the cashew dressing, too. Yeah. Because I feel like, you you know, like the normal chicken salad calls, like has a peanut dressing. And I am a huge fan when, especially in the summer, if you're growing your own, of just taking a ton of herbs, finely chopping them and using them to just garnish dishes because it just adds that punch of like fresh Mm -hmm. herbal flavor. um, And and I think you can kind of mix and match. And and throwing some whole leaves in, in with the salad mix too. Yeah, no, no complaints about this dish. Yes. Uh, the next thing was courgette. That is zucchini for us non-Brits. Oh, uh, yeah. See, they always have the, the coolest names for stuff. Courgette, aubergine. Zucchini. <laughs> <laughs> aubergine. <laughs> Eggplant. <laughs> like, you know, whatever we call it, they have some really, like, sexy name for it. Right. Um, yeah. With pepperoni. <laughs> pepperoni. I just, I'm inventing my own ingredient over here. Never mind me. Uh, pecorino polenta cakes. Basically, you make your polenta, you make cornmeal. <laughs> <laughs> right? 
<laughs> Continue. And you make it like a little bit stiffer than you would if you were going to be serving it in a bowl. Spread it out. Let it cool down on a sheet tray. Then you cut out some little rounds. Fry up your little polenta cakes till they're GBD. Um, and this also had some beautiful vine roasted tomatoes. Arugula. Arugs. Arugs. Capicola. And then we finish it off with a little bit more of the grated pecorino. Yeah, this is great. I mean, make a great appetizer or light lunch. I enjoyed it. Oh, that'd be a great appetizer to just do little polenta cakes. Uh Put some pecorino on there. Uh Fold up some capicola into a little triangle Uh and then put a single roasted tomato on it. Boom. Boom. <laughs> okay, make a note of that for the next party yeah, that we I'll have. I'll get right on that. <laughs> I need to put that in my phone. Yes, you do. <laughs> uh, let's talk toasted quinoa bowls. This one was really fiddly. It, it kind of was for something that final product seems like it should be real simple and easy, and it was not. Yeah. Well, um, quinoa is... I mean, the author did mention that this is something that she usually does kind of meal prep for and, 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 you know, does quinoa for the entire week to use in dishes. This was something that we were just using for a single meal. It became a series of fussy steps to arrive at the finish line. Yeah. That's what I wrote. Be- well, because you had to roast sweet potatoes, roast almond, roast beets, and you roast the quinoa as well. Yes. And they all have different roasting times. They do. Um, so you have to kind of do it. We did them on separate sheet trays because it was kind of necessity because they, they were not going to finish at the same time. Yeah. And the recipe called for butter beans. Um, we had chickpeas on hand, but and those get roasted as well. Um, you have to make some pickled vegetables. Yep. I, I believe it was pickled red onions. Mm-hmm. And then this was also, we also used uh, pea shoots. It called for like radish shoots or pea mm-hmm. shoots. Um, you had to make a dressing. You had to make a dr- <laughs> Yeah. And the pickling liquid from the onions was used in the dressing. So that's that's good, you know. Doesn't go to waste. I, I feel like this was like kind of my least favorite it was I'm, the least I'm, successful just because of the amount of steps involved. And yeah, quinoa gets everywhere. It does, Makes and it's it's, it's not kitchen. it's not my. Well, I mean, now my grains are very limited. Yeah. Do you have uh, a favorite ancient grain? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's gonna be new, my new uh, party icebreaker <laughs> line. To people, hey, got a favorite ancient grain? <laughs> They'll be like, okay, weirdo. Mine's between millet and quinoa. With a slight preference for faro as well. I got to say, I'm a big fan of the millet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but not the mullet. Not the mullet. Mullet, not so much. Millet, millet. thumbs up. Yep. Uh, okay, so next we did the burrata, asparagus, and blistered tomatoes. This one sucked because, I mean, the dish didn't suck. Yeah. We could not find burrata. We went to two different places. Little did we know we were in the middle of the great burrata shortage in Minneapolis of 2022. Yeah, because usually Trader Joe's has it, yep. and they were out of it. So we just used we used some goat cheese. Yeah, and it was perfectly fine. Worked for me. We doubled the amount of tomatoes, olives, and garlic, I believe, as well. Just. Just because. Yes. And and that all gets roasted along with lemon slices. The asparagus gets blanched. Photo-wise, that's great. Yes. Like, it looks very green, but I feel like roasting it would have been a little better. Yeah. Um, it did call for serving this on a gluten-free, crusty bread. Still, the search is still on because <laughs> <laughs> of stuff we got the other day. From Sift. Sorry, Sift. Yeah. It's, so, it's, it's not happening. So we served it. We have like these really dense seeded crackers. They're good, but ooh, holy calories. Yeah. Like one of them has like 130 calories. Yikes. Yeah. Um, so we we enjoyed this uh, with some sausages. Yeah, I think we had as, as like a chicken dinner. sausages. Yeah. Worked out okay. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of roasting tomatoes in particular. With with some garlic in the oven because you make that tomato confit that's delicious. Yeah, it's a like little bit of sumac, a little bit of honey, mm-hmm. tiny bit of smoked paprika. Nom! I can't. Once our uh, garden tomatoes that we're growing blossom, 
we're gonna we're gonna roast up and and can a bunch of that stuff so it, it'll get us through the winter i can't wait it'll, it'll cure my seasonal seasonal depression <laughs> depressed have some tomato confit there you go all right Turmeric uh, whitefish. Yep. Take us home. So this used cod. It's kind of like the Bruce Springsteen of fish. Solid, sturdy, reliable, widespread appeal. Sure. Right? Sure. All right. Okay. So the fish gets coated um, with a mixture of fish sauce, ginger, sugar, and turmeric. It's also accompanied with a chili lime cucumber. Uh, you thinly slice some cucumbers, let it soak in a mixture of lime, chili, fish sauce, garlic, and water. And then I remember the juices getting dumped from the pan kind of over the fish. No. With, no? Mm-mm. Oh. Um, you, you, how, did I, <laughs> how did I misremember that? So you, you thinly slice garlic and shallots. And you fry them in a pan. You use the remaining oil from the fried uh, garlic and shallot. And that's what you cook your fish in. Um, but right, when the fish is done and you're plating it, I felt like you poured all this over the top of the fish. That's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. I totally misunderstood yes. you. Yes. Yes, you do. Okay. Um, uh, it was a, it was actually a really pretty dish. and, and Yeah. Super flavorful. And I believe we made some coconut rice with We that. did. Just don't wear white when you're when you're plating this up. <laughs> it's a towel ruiner. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, okay. Before we jump into our rankings, we will discuss the most critical Amazon reviews for this book. I found a couple of them. Okay. You want to start with the first one? Sure. All right. Uh this is a one out of five stars. It's from Renee. Uh, it says, not representative of California. This book is an outsider perspective. It's a beautifully designed book, so kudos to the marketing and design team. The recipes, however, completely missed. I was born and raised in Southern California, feasting on my family's cultural Taiwanese food that was so well represented in the iconic Southern California strip malls. I was also able to engage in a vibrant food scene of greater LA from my favorite after school taco trucks to late nights at Middle Eastern Persian eateries. This book strips the soul and culture from California and only leaves a baby's rendition of Chez Panisse dishes on its pages. It completely commodifies and fails to capture the beauty of California cuisine. Almost insulting. Ooh, gauntlet thrown. But it sounds like you agree. I kind of do. Okay. I mean, I will say, we'll get into this when we discuss our rankings. I I wonder if, I mean, it, it the author... Is British. ...resides in Britain, has traveled to California frequently since like the, what would she say, the 80s, 90s, something yeah. like that. That's great. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you love that area and it speaks to you. I'm not sure that that qualifies you to speak with any kind of authority on California cuisine or that you might be the best person to write a book about it. Well, and it's like, are you like, was the author just going to restaurants that like have California cuisine? Probably. Because some of the best food is in strip malls and now food trucks. Like. We'll, we'll get into that. Okay. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah. And then the second one uh, was from uh, Kathy Messenger, and she rated it one out of five stars. Boring and too expensive was, was the review. <laughs> <laughs> the book? The ingredients? I think probably the book. Eh? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I don't necessarily call it boring, but eh, what, eh, whatever. That's, that's the review. Let's go into our reviews and our rankings. Food, photography, and styling. What'd you have, Victoria? Um, I gave it a five. I do have to say, first of all, the cover is gorgeous. Yeah, it's a cool cover. It, it's reminiscent. Graphic design kind of situation. It, it's remini- <laughs> It's a reminiscent of kind of like a California, like a beach sunset. It's embossed. It, it feels, it. the cover feels very expensive. Yes. The food photos are really beautifully styled. And there's also, besides the food photos, there's a lot of uh, scenic, atmospheric shots, like the beach, surfboards, taco trucks, uh, 
photo of the city at sunset. Uh, I would say there's winery. just as many of those photos uh-huh. as food photos within uh-huh. the pages. Most, all the food photos are like very cool toned. The backdrops are mostly marble, white or light concrete, mm-hmm. um, white linen. Photos are at, they're like flatly or 45 degree angles. Everything is styled really beautifully. One thing that I noticed that I thought was kind of interesting to me is a good percentage of the photos that were on like concrete or marble backdrop mm-hmm. had no linen interesting. anywhere. Okay. Which makes it feel a little bit hard edged to me. Sure. Just because I feel like having a linen in a photo will soften it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the photos were really nice. Some more of a sterile quality yes, to it? Yes, okay. kind of. All right. Uh, I gave it a four. Okay. As I mentioned, there's just uh, as many non-food photographs within the book. The food photos themselves have kind of a light, uh, kind of airy quality of them, um, as well as a color palette. Mostly light and neutral surfaces and props, like you said, whites and grays. The food itself is kind of used to provide the color in mm-hmm. the photographs. So they'll provide a kind of a neutral backdrop for it. And then you really get the color pop from the like vivid, you know, vegetables and, you know, whatever is in the photo. Very casual presentation. So, you know, very rustic props. There's, you know, some random spills. There's some stray crumbs. Like nothing is real like precious in the plating or presentation. Generally, the meals are not shot close up. There's a lot of surrounding space around them. A little bit of a departure from like what's kind of currently in vogue now, I feel like, where you really get in there on the dish. And and these definitely had like some space around them. So, okay, yeah, uh, four... They didn't blow me away, but they were very nicely done. Okay. And I I think captured the spirit of the book nicely. Uh, Design and layout. What'd you give it? I gave it a three. Okay. Not every recipe has a companion photo. Mm -hmm. Um, Scattered throughout the book are kind of essays on various quintessential California ingredients, dishes, concepts. So by that, I mean like you'll find a, a little essay on avocados Sourdough bread, salads, tacos, like anything that you can think of when you think of California cuisine, there's a little short little bit of writing about it. The ingredients and equipment section is nothing new. If you listen to this podcast, you kind of know how we feel about that. I don't need to know how to stock my pantry or what essential kitchen tools and gadgets I need in my kitchen. There's a where to eat section in the back, which is very likely outdated. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that's the risk you take in a cookbook when you include something like that because the lifespan of a restaurant is generally pretty short, no matter how good the restaurant. Mm-hmm. So by including you know this list of like, here's where to eat when you're in California, which also goes back to your point of like, are these the places that she was eating when she would take her trips? These are like her favorite restaurants. Yeah. I don't know that you can get the best representation of real authentic. If you, if, if you're going to try and define California cuisine mm-hmm. by going to these restaurants, yeah. many of which are probably more like kind of upscale. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that in a second. But there's only five chapters mm-hmm. um, and they kind of take you from the beginning of the day to the end. So there's like morning sun, twilight, sides and sauces, fully baked, that kind of thing. I don't know where this fits within the ranking, but I think it's worth mentioning and maybe questioning is when we talked about this, you know, why someone who's not native to California would decide that they're best suited for authoring a book on the subject. And I'm kind of, if I'm being honest, like I'm kind of surprised that this even made it beyond the proposal stage. Yes. Like why, when she sat down with potential book publishers, did someone sign on to this and agree like, yes, this person who lives in the UK that regardless, you know, she travels to California frequently, why they're the best person to author a book on this subject. 
Mm-hmm. It's a little odd to me. Yeah. She does discuss this briefly in the intro, but in doing so, it almost discourages a potential buyer from purchasing it. Like She's quoted as saying, I don't claim to be an expert on California cuisine. Well, shouldn't you be if you're going to write a book about it? I guess as long as you kind of go into it with the understanding that these are kind of California-inspired recipes, then it's a fine read. I will say that the recipe format is easy to understand and to follow. The type size is a little small. Mm-hmm. Serving portions, prep, and active times are com- contained in a little circle along the left margin of the recipe. The recipe head notes are brief, but they do offer some useful tips. And the recipes are both in the imperial and metric measurements. So uh, I gave it a three. Okay. I, I, I had a few questions about that, uh, that part of the, the ranking. But there were things I liked, things I, I didn't like, or that I was kind of curious about. Yeah. What about you? Well, I gave it a three as well. You kind of covered everything. That that was the topic I kind of thought most about when sitting down to review this book. It was just like this little microcosm of a very specific type of California cuisine. You know, like yes. not everyone is is going to the farmers market and you know. I think up it's a difficult bowls. thing to define mm-hmm. to begin with. I'm sure if you ask. Many people, including people that are native to California, you'd probably get a variety of different answers. Um, I don't claim to be an expert on it. And then once you do kind of define it in your own way, then, yeah, how do you go about crafting this book that encompasses all that? And I think others have tried and I think others have succeeded better than this book Mm -hmm. did. That's just my opinion. Well, like that Malibu cookbook, she lived there and she also kind of infused some of her scandinavian heritage yes yes love it hallelujah yeah. i'm but, sorry continue no no, no. i interrupted um, you the 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 small font size really bothered me mm-hmm. um i did appreciate that they had like the serving size the prep time the cook time like you said the restaurant section is probably not super useful anymore. Um, I thought a lot of the extra material was kind of unnecessary. Yes. Because I, I really loathe the pantry and kitchen tool gadget sections that are common in a lot of cookbooks. Unless it is something that actually is, you know, useful and different and necessary. But if you're doing a book on California cuisine, I don't think you need uh, those sections in a book. Yeah. Like if you use, if you are cooking out of a Mexican book, fully, please give me a guide to all of the different chilies. Or like even, uh, for instance, like a gluten-free book where you do have to make a lot of substitutes. Mm-hmm. And these are probably ingredients that a lot of people may not have in their pantry, like psyllium husk and stuff. Yeah. That makes sense. But for a book like this, nah. <laughs> nah. Yeah. Pass. Yeah. So I don't know if I said I gave it a three, two. Yes. But okay. Oh, and also like the layout was fairly, uh, the page layout was fairly standard. You know, you yeah, had, I, I you like had the, the design and layout. You had the head note and then on the left side of the page was the ingredient list. Mm-hmm. And then on the right side was the method. Yeah. Uh, degree of difficulty. What'd you have? I gave it a two. Other than that quinoa bowl recipe, which... which <laughs> it was a bit fussy. Yeah. Um, everything was fairly easy. There mm-hmm. wasn't, you know, like three different kinds of cooking that you had to do. Right. Like sear this, braise this, saute this. Mm-hmm. Um, Mission accomplished. Yeah. Because I think it was supposed to be, you know, kind of quick and easy home cooking kind of thing. God, I am fucking eloquent today. Yeah? I, I can't. I can't help you on that front. (laughs) Uh, What'd you give it? I gave it a two as well. Okay. Most recipes require 20 minutes or less of active prep time. And even the small baking section within the book includes some very easy recipes like cookies, galettes. Galette, yeah. Not gillettes. Ah, I guessed it right. <laughs> then some simple cakes and quick breads. Like it was all really simple baking stuff. Gillette. Um, no, it's not a razor. <laughs> right? Um, I can't imagine that most home cooks would have any difficulty executing these dishes. Mm-hmm. So two. 
And we then agree. lastly, taste. I gave it a four. Okay. The flavors were simple, bright, and clean, but there was, you know, there wasn't like a depth of flavor like some cookbooks provide. But everything was tasty, and like I said, it it was a very specific microcosm of Mm -hmm. California food. Excellent. What'd you give it? I gave it a four as well. Simple, clean flavors, very vegetable and seafood focused. Mm Um, this is kind of the food I prefer to eat. So I definitely gravitate toward it, especially in warm weather months when I'm not craving like heavy comfort food. Uh, so four. All right. Before we, (laughs) before we leave town, we're going to go to the gastro obscura section, exploring the weird and wonderful culinary traditions, experiences, and ingredients. What do you got for us today, Victoria? We have the Noah's Ark for Citrus. It's the Citrus Variety Collection in California. Ooh, how, how appropriate. Yes, I chose it just because of this book. University of California, Riverside has the largest collection of citrus in America. They have a pretty renowned like agriculture program, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. Yep. There's more than a thousand varieties of citrus housed on 22 acres. And they kind of call it the Noah's Ark because they they keep two of every species. Um, And it's quite amazing because modern citrus is uh, derived from three main citrus varieties. There is a Malaysian pomelo, which is, it's a non-hybrid ancestor of the grapefruit. Okay. The North Indian citron, and then the Chinese mandarin. Like, say, the orange you would find in a supermarket, it's uh, a cross of the pomelo and the mandarin. Uh, Citrus breeders looking to create a new citrus often go to University of California, Riverside, to play with the genetic material. Interesting. Yeah, which is, you know, like, do you want a... Something like a lime that has, or a finger lime that has the little caviar type capsules that kind of burst in your mouth. So we have them to thank for sweet lemons and stuff like that? Yes. Oh, okay. I believe if you want to try it, uh, the Citrus Variety Collection hosts occasional public education events. That was going to be my next question, is if this is kind of like open to anyone to visit or... Yep, and they do... uh, tastings of hybrid fruits and their original parents all right road trip yeah right oh that sounds awesome (laughs) all right so if you enjoyed the show please rank and review us you can follow us on our socials our instagram is at we underscore cook underscore books and our facebook is at we cook books hey victoria yes john i got a joke for you okay (laughs) did you know that the first french fry wasn't actually cooked in france it was cooked in greece (laughs) (laughs) that was kind of a good one I I, I thought so alright thanks for listening everyone have a fantastic week stay safe stay hungry 